Hello, I'm Keith Gill, Commissioner of the Sunbelt Conference, and you're listening to The Monarchist. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to The Monarchist Podcast. This evening, we're joined by Kara Ritchie, host of the Workday Red Zone on 95.3 The Ticket in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Kara also hosts Wolf Howls following Arkansas State football on the flagship home of the Red Wolves, 107.9 KFIN. Kara, welcome to the best and only ODU podcast. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. I've really enjoyed getting to know a lot of different people from around the Sun Belt this year. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, we're stoked to have you. So, Kara, you've been in Jonesboro for about a decade covering Red Wolves football. Can you tell us a little bit about your radio journey and how you cover Arkansas State? Sure. I've, I've worked in radio for right out 10 years, as you mentioned. I've actually lived in Jonesboro my whole life, so I've always grown up with at least with Arkansas State Athletics, somewhat in the background. But about 10 years ago, I got into radio. I originally was going to go try and do some advertising sales. And I'd always always been fairly sports knowledgeable and ended up with an on-air opportunity at a station called The Game. Unfortunately, at the time, that was very short-lived. And I ended up with Arkansas Broadcaster shortly after that and in the ticket. And I've been there now for nine years. I've been the host of the Workday Red Zone for six and a couple of years ago, started doing some, some different things with A-State football. And originally, that started as being the host of Wolf House, which is the post-game call-in show. So if everybody's having a really good day and really loved the game, I get to hear all about it. And if not, well, you can imagine how some of those phone calls go. Starting this year, I also became the host of the network pregame on the EAB Rebel Sports Network. So some days I have double duty. I'm there before anybody else, and I'm also wrapping things up. But but I love it. I love getting to see. I, I feel like I've got the best of both worlds, being able to open and, and close some broadcasts. That's got to make for a long day. It does. But you just you just kind of get used to it. You know, a long day watching football is better than a short day at a whole lot of other jobs. So I'm I'm perfectly content to spend, you know, eight hours talking, watching and, and then talking again, some some A-State football. It's fine with me. That sounds wonderful. We need to get you to talk to our wives to let us, you know, let them know that it's perfectly acceptable for us to watch that much football and talk that much football all the time. <laughs> so A-State joined the Sun Belt in 2001, like mm-hmm. more than 20 years ago. Tell us a little bit about how the conference has morphed over the last two decades and how A-State fans feel about the four newest members joining the conference this year. Well, I'll go back to the the early 2010s, which is, again, when I when I started working in, in media. And so I have a much better grip on how everything unfolded then. I guess it was, it was 2011, 2012 is, is when there was the last seismic realignment before what we're all kind of going through and, and witnessing right now. And basically, you know, the the American came out of nowhere and it took some teams from Conference USA. So Conference USA took some teams from the Sun Belt. So you had uh, Middle Tennessee, Western Kentucky, Florida International, Florida Atlantic, North Texas that had all been Sun Belt members and decided, hey, we think the grass might be greener over here at CUSA. So good chat, we're gonna bounce, whatever. And so for most of those programs, their last year in the league was 2012, Western Kentucky exited shortly after it, 2013. That's when you had the first wave of 
kind of what the Sun Belt looks like now. The league brought in App State and Georgia Southern, two teams that had been incredibly successful in the FCS. Went ahead and brought in an upstart in Georgia State who had just started their football program. There are a couple of years where New Mexico State and Idaho were football playing members. And that was kind of weird, even though the Kibbe Dome is kind of cool. So you had that being a short-lived thing. And that kind of brings us up to, to present day after you bring in Coastal Carolina. And, you know, one of the things that that has definitely been going on, maybe that the casual sports fan did not realize, is that for the past five or so years, the Sun Belt has just steadily gotten a little bit better each year. We saw the Sun Belt really capitalize, I guess, probably on, on COVID um, in the sense that there were a lot of games that weren't able to be played because people had illness and had huge chunks of the team out. And the Sun Belt was kind of pushed more in the spotlight and seized all of those opportunities, especially with a great run by Coastal. And so all of a sudden, the Sun Belt kind of looked like the place to be. Conference USA was struggling. The MAC and the Mountain West are very kind of geographically, they are where they are. And Sun Belt had an opportunity to add some teams with this latest round of realignment, brought in what I think are four incredibly, incredibly quality programs in so many different ways. And I think right now there's just kind of that sense of, of you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. There are a lot of great fan bases, a lot of great teams and programs in this league. And, and a lot of people are just really excited to see how this first year of the, the realignment in the league plays out. So Arkansas State is in year two of the Butch Jones era. Yeah. He came there from the Alabama coaching rehab. <laughs> Yeah. I'm well acquainted with him as a Tennessee alum. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> so I'm well aware of him, but I mean, he's a great recruiter. He's a great guy. But what kind of changes has he brought to the program since taking over the reins as head coach at Arkansas State? Well, if you look at the record, you might think I'm kind of a crazy person for saying that the program is is in better shape than it was a couple of years ago. Because obviously Arkansas State is coming off of a two and ten season, and that appeals to nobody. Fans weren't happy, coaches weren't happy, players weren't happy, uh, and of course they're off to a one and two start this year. But I think one of the things that that Butch has brought to the program is is just a different level of intensity. There is no detail too small. There is nothing that that goes overlooked. You know, just the, the attention to detail that you see in in practices on special teams. The way that this team is supposed to present itself when it's in the weight room. The the way that this team goes about working in the community. There's just all of these different small things that have completely overhauled this program. But unfortunately, there also had to be a significant roster overall overhaul as well. You mentioned Butch being a great recruiter, and he's brought in last season the highest ranked class in, in the Sun Belt, at least at that time. I think Marshall's class was overall just a little bit better. So you've got some of those that talent in place that you need for this rebuild, but they're, they're really, really young and really, really inexperienced. So there's still going to be a few more growing pains this year in season two under Butch. So as I was looking at Arkansas State and kind of doing my research, over 60 freshmen, and that was one thing that jumped out at me. The other thing that jumped out at me was how many close one-score games they lost last year. It reminded me a bit of who we were last year. We started out terribly. We figured out how to win, and we made a bowl game. That didn't quite happen for Arkansas State last season, but we had a ton of freshmen as well. We, I think we, were, we had the most in the country last year. Now that's you guys. So I, I can see the progress just by looking from afar. Yeah. Know. You know, so this year, A-State is, has the fourth youngest roster in FBS. There are 
over a hundred underclassmen, so freshmen and sophomores. So it is it is a really, really young program. And you know, you mentioned something in that statement that that ODU learned how to win last year about midway through the season. And it was a catalyst for the rest of the year. Well, Sunbelt Media Day, we caught up with Zach Koontz. And that was almost word for word what he said, because we threw the question at him of, you know, this team struggled at the beginning of 2021 and then just flipped a switch in the middle of the season. What happened? They learned how to win. And we have not seen that yet with this A-State team. And for example, Saturday at Memphis was was a brutal, brutal ending for the Red Wolves. You have a game where A-State is down five points with two minutes left to play. They have an opportunity to have that last minute go-ahead drive that would have been so incredible and revitalized this fan base. And you get to a fourth and five situation, which is a convertible down. And then you have a false start and it's fourth and 10. And then you have another false start and it's fourth and 15. And then you have a fumble for Arkansas State's very first turnover of the season. So Memphis gets the ball back at their own nine, scores like two seconds later, game over, you know. But it's it's a situation there where an experienced team, a team who had been in that situation before and been able to claw claw back, you know, that it might still have lost. There's never a guarantee of a game-winning drive, but it would not have unfolded like that. And and this team hasn't quite learned how to get over the hump yet. Well, those are definitely learning opportunities. We saw yeah. that last season. A-State comes into this game. Same record as ODU, one and two. You beat the brakes off of FCS, Grambling State, lost to Ohio State, but, you know, who doesn't? Yeah. And then dropped the heartbreaker you just mentioned about to Memphis on Saturday, 44 to 32. What's your biggest takeaway so far in this young season? That I really like the way this team competes is is the biggest one. There are other smaller things. You know, the O-line is better. There is a run game for the first time in years. The linebacker play is better. The defense has taken baby steps on controlling explosive plays. But I think the biggest thing is just the intangibles. I can go back and think of, you know, in the 180 minutes that A-State has been on the field this season, offensive defense, there, there are three minutes out of those 180 where I felt like this team lost focus. And that was in game one. And it was a third quarter where there were targeting reviews and, and time stoppages for penalties and, and injuries and all these other things. That third quarter took an actual hour of, of regular time. So, I mean, I've lost focus as a fan. I kept asking my neighbor at the press box. I was like, is that three on the scoreboard? Are we still in the third quarter? So it's really hard to fault a team who kind of got complacent for about three minutes in a game where they were already up 35 points. Yeah, we lost focus too when Virginia Tech's coaches got stuck in the elevator. That was pretty tough to get through. Yes, I I very much remember watching that unfold on on TV. That was some fascinating drama for for week one of the season. Well, if if they just paid attention to the capacity limits on the elevator, we wouldn't have had to deal with that. So is that is that the the real story? There wasn't there wasn't any behind the scenes sabotage. It was seriously they well. I, I think I think that it might have been Hudson who did it because he got a lot of airtime <laughs> during that 12 minutes or so that they were stuck in the elevator. But t- Taylor Heineke was at that game as well. So Taylor may have got together with Hudson and kind of worked that whole thing out. I'm not I'm not really sure, but that's I heard that on Twitter somewhere. I knew I'd get the scoop from you guys as far as what really <laughs> went down. All right, so your quarterback, James Blackman, has had pretty good numbers through the first three games. 68% completion percentage, 673 yards, four touchdowns, zero picks. Can you talk to us a little bit about him? Yeah, James Blackman has played a ton of football in his career. 
he originally started out at Florida State and got on the field and started several games as a true freshman. But then due to a lot of things that were out of his control, his I think maybe his development might have kind of plateaued a little bit at Florida State. He played there under three different head coaches and at least four different signal callers. So throughout his career as a Seminole, he just never really had consistency with the people that were that were guiding his development. This year at Arkansas State, you know, last year and this year, that's the first back-to-back seasons of, of his college career where he's had the same offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. So he's been able to develop a camaraderie with OC Keith Heckendorf and learn more about, you know, the hows of the offense and the whys of the offense, not just go out there and do this on this play, but why will this play be successful if you decide to do this instead of something else? So he's gotten just so much more comfortable with this offense. Also, additionally, throughout his entire collegiate career, he's never gone into a preseason knowing that he is QB1. He's always either been, you know, behind somebody and gotten put on the field due to injury, or he's been a guy that's been battling it out and maybe he won or maybe he lost. And he won last year that battle and there was a little bit of a QB controversy and then he got hurt and But this year he came in and he knew he was the guy for A-State. And so not only does that, you know, allow him to dive deeper into the playbook and get more comfortable with the X's and O's, but when you know you're the leader on a team, because that is unquestionably what a quarterback is, you approach things from a leadership perspective a little bit different. You you work different ways to develop camaraderie with your teammates and and, and push yourself as a leader. And so JB did all of the work in the offseason to become a better quarterback, to become a smarter quarterback, and to become a better team leader. And we're seeing that pay off. And I'm sorry to be so long-winded on this answer because I haven't even got to what we've seen on the field yet from him. But what's interesting about James Blackman is dude has a cannon. He can fling it. And there's no doubt about it. But we haven't really seen that this year. What we've seen so far is we've seen Arkansas State really try and kind of often exploit the underneath game, do some of the, the short route stuff. And part of that is because the Red Wolves have been just a little bit hampered at receiver. So he doesn't necessarily have those those big targets and those those guys that are 100% to take off down the field. But at some point in time this year, they're going to turn James Blackman loose. And we're going to see him just put up an absolutely insane, insane monster game. He hasn't done it yet. He's made the smart decisions, but we haven't seen it. The stats accumulate, but at some point in time, they will. Can you make sure it's not this week? Make a couple Cannot. phone calls. Okay. Cannot so, do that. <laughs> so you mentioned the wide receiver injuries. Are, are they any healthier this week? Hopefully. Butch Jones at his press conference earlier today did touch on a couple of the key guys for Arkansas State. So A-State just got to Valence Hunt back last week against Memphis. DeValent Hunt entered this season as the leading returner in all of the, the Sunbelt Conference in terms of, of yards, receiving yards. So not having him for the first two games was, was a bit of a blow. But what we saw in games one and two is we saw Oregon State transfer Champ Flemings just go off. And Champ Flemings is is fascinating. He is he's probably one of the smaller guys in all of FBS. He is five five with cleats on and that dude can fly. He's got both, you know, that straight line speed and he's got the quickness as well to be able to pull off that incredible footwork and, and make defensive players miss when they're trying to, to cover him. So he's been phenomenal, but he's dealing with a little bit of a nagging injury. And we saw that against Memphis. And, and I think A-State could have won that game against Memphis if they had had a healthy champ Flemings, but they did not. So you got a surveillance hunt that's just trying to work his way back into football shape because he also missed a ton of, of the, the preseason as well. And then you've got champ Flemings who's dealing with some kind of 
lower body something. Uh, sorry to sound like a hockey broadcaster. It's, I just know it's a lower body injury that's a little bit nagging. So if if those guys both were probably at about 50% last week, if they're up to 75 or 80 or even more than that, it's going to do a, a lot of different things for this A-State offense. Champ, you said he's 5'5"? Five, five, he's, right? he's listed at 5'6", which was interesting because – he was listed at 5'5 five, five at Oregon State. And then also, you know, I've, I've stood on a field next to him. So I I, I am 5'6", and I am also taller than Champ Fleming's. Mike, okay. I think you're thinking what I'm thinking here. Well, I'm very intrigued by this possible matchup. Between That's what him I'm, yeah, absolutely. And Tobias Harris. Yeah, Tobias share, Harris, enlighten me, share with the group. So Tobias is a D2 transfer. He was an All-American Division II has a bunch of – I think he led D2 in interceptions last year. I think he had 18. 17 total, I think, in one this year. Start. Yeah. And wow. A, and he has one wow. this year against Virginia Tech that where he just cut off the route. It was just a beautiful play by him. But he's only 5'8". So we could okay. have, like, these two guys that are uh, vertically challenged just have a really great battle on Saturday. And I'm pretty excited to watch it. That's a, a couple of pint-sized powerhouses is what it sounds like that might be squared off against each other. All right, now to the tight end position. So, ODU, this is a position that we're well acquainted with, talented players. We have the freak, Zach Kuntz, and he's lived up to all the hype since he got here. Arkansas State has their own tight end talent in Sadu Traor. I think, I I hope I said that right. Uh, He has six receptions. Sadu Traore. Sorry, I know it's an adventure. Sadu Traore. All right. He has six receptions for 120 yards and a touchdown last week, and he appears to be emerging as a force for Arkansas State. Could you talk to us about Sadu? I am equally fired up about this tight end showdown that we're going to see on Saturday because for A-State, when you look from top to bottom, even though tight end is is obviously going to be one of the smaller rooms numbers-wise on, on a team, the tight end room at A-State has more more talent, I think, than, than any other room and, and more depth. State is not the starter right now for Arkansas State football. It's a guy by the name of Emmanuel Stevenson who started last year as a true freshman. And he beat out a, a guy by the name of Reed Tyler, who is now about to be a, a fifth-year – or is a fifth-year senior who's played a ton, a ton, a ton of football in his career. He is incredibly, incredibly talented as well. So you go back to that 2021 signing class, Butch's first signing class. Say, excuse me, Emmanuel Stevenson was in there, but Sadu Traore was a guy that just immediately Coach Jones started throwing out some very significant comps to, because the first name he mentioned was Travis Kelsey in terms of what Sadu Traore's potential could possibly be. And Jones would know because he coached Kelsey at Cincinnati. So I mean, when this guy hasn't even played a down of football for you yet and you're throwing out that comparison, of course, that gets all the fans' attention. Traore is actually fascinating because he's probably played high school football for like a year or two. He's actually from, so he spent all of his life playing soccer and then got into football when he was like 16 or 17. So just in terms of experience, I mean, the dude ain't got none really. But then last year we saw him just getting more familiar with that game. He was more of a, you know, a backup. We saw him sparingly on the field. But then this year, all of a sudden, you know, sometimes it's fun to watch guys that when it, it the light goes on for them, like it's like a blinding light. And that's what we're seeing kind of unfold in real time with Traore. Last week, he had 75 yards on the first drive for A-State, 75 receiving yards. And 
that was a career high just before anything else happened 75 yards on the first drive so he he the the cool thing right now is that we're just seeing the beginning of what he can do he is going to be phenomenal the next two and a half years of, of his collegiate career yeah that reminds me a lot we saw that with Travis Fulgham, who a lot of people will know. Where Travis didn't have, I, I can't remember when he started playing football, but it was pretty late. I mean, he might have been a sophomore in high school. But when it clicked, when that light came on, it was amazing. All of a sudden it yeah. shot. And then, of course, we saw what he did with the Eagles, and he's bounced around a little bit. But I'm hoping that this week is not like last week with regards to that. Hopefully we just get a lot of a lot of Zach Koontz in the tight end position. But I, I do agree. I think it's going to be be really interesting. So before we hit the defense, are there any other offensive weapons that we need to be, you know, ODU fans should be worried about? Running back this year is actually a position worth talking about. And and I don't mean that as a slight to last year's team, but but last year, A-State did not have a run game. And it was an offense that actually, I think there were only three or four teams in the country who passed at a higher percentage than A-State. And one of those was Mississippi State. And like Mike Leach doesn't even have running backs anymore. Like I don't even think he bothers with it. So so it was a super, super pass-heavy offense last year. And A-State throughout the course of the entire season only scored four rushing touchdowns. It was the lowest in, in all 130 teams in FBS. This year they've already scored eight on the ground. So you have a significant difference there. And it's a little bit of a two-headed monster. You have Brian Sneed, who was at Austin P last year, originally started out his career at Ohio State. And then you've got Johnny Lang, who was originally at Iowa State, was with the Red Wolves last year, and he was probably more than any other player on the team, the guy that Butch Jones raved about in terms of, of offseason progress. I mean, just loved everything that he did to become not just a rusher, not, not to get better as a rusher, just a guy who runs the ball, but to get better as a running back and do all of the different things that they have to do in terms of blocking and pass catching and running the football. So there's also some young talent in that room because there's young talent in every room right now for A-State football, but it's it's actually a position where, you know, if you want to talk about the offense, you can talk about the running backs this year. And it's been a couple of years since, since there's kind of been that hope around there. I'm going to throw out one more guy at running back and that's Marcel Murray. You actually go back a few years ago and Marcel Murray, I want to say in 2017 was the Sunbelt Conference freshman of the year. He was an amazing, amazing player as a freshman. Started dealing with some ankle injuries in his sophomore season, but was able to put up most of the same numbers. His junior year, big step back due to injury. What would have been his his senior year or COVID senior year or whatever last year, he didn't play hardly at all and ended up taking a red shirt. But he's back this year. He's 100% healthy. He's not as much of the offensive game plan as he was when he was a freshman, but he's starting to do some small things to, to contribute. And for example, last week saw, caught a... a a 12-yard pass at a crucial situation that ended up setting up a one-yard touchdown. So, you know, when you see a guy battle back from injury after injury after injury and then start to find success again, you can't help but get super fired up and super excited about it. And I think we're starting to see that with Marcel Murray. So while we're on the topic of rushing, one thing that has kind of been giving ODU fits this year is third down quarterback runs or scrambles. Does James run that often? Because it doesn't look like it by the stats he a-state has an interesting kind of game plan with with quarterback situations and we've seen it right now more at the goal line as opposed to on third down but i wouldn't be necessarily surprised if if it could develop if they wanted to do something that's a change of pace but james blackman 
is slightly more mobile this year than he was last year. He's never been a running guy. He's got a cannon. He needs to throw it. But he's also very, very slender. So last year, they didn't want him necessarily taking a lot of hits. So he did not run, period. He put on about 15 pounds of muscle in the offseason. So he's a little bit more durable. So we've seen him make a few choice selections to run it. It's still a really small sample size. But A-State does have a backup quarterback by the name of A.J. Mayer. And Mayer played a lot of football at Miami of Ohio. And he's a guy that they worked with a ton in, in the preseason to potentially be like a, a goal line quarterback or potentially a third line, a third down quarterback. When you've got those short yardage situations and you need somebody maybe to do a, a sneak or something like that, it'd be, we might see AJ Mayer. So that's something to, to kind of keep in mind that although 99% of the quarterback conversation is going to be centered around James Blackman, AJ Mayer could factor in as well. Yeah. I see that he's rushed 12 times for 90 yards. So clearly He's got a little bit of vision, a little bit of a little bit of quickness to be able to get through yeah. this hole. So we'll keep an eye on that one. So Monday, Coach Ricky Ronnie he had his Monday press conference, and he spoke really highly of the talent on the defensive side of the ball. Could you tell us a little bit more about the defense, how it's progressing during the season so far? Sure. The defense right now, it is a a work in progress, and I'm not trying to. Let me back up and figure out how I want to want to describe this better. Last year's A State defense was was bad and there's no way to sugarcoat that and say oh they need for improvement it was a bad defense statistically it was one of the worst defenses in college football I think only Duke allowed more yards I think only about six teams in the country allowed more points and A-State really really struggled against the explosive play A-State gave up not one but two 99 yard touchdown plays last year which let me tell you, those are highly unenjoyable to watch. In addition to numerous other plays of, of 50 and 60 yards, I think I looked today at the stats and A-State gave up somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 20 plays of 50 yards or more. So you're looking at multiple 50-yard plays per game that this defense was allowing. It's still got a long ways to go to be probably honestly even an average defense, let alone a good defense statistically but we've already started to see significant steps in terms of, you know, the, the points per game going down, the yards per game going down, the explosive plays last year that would have turned into touchdowns. At least guys now are being tackled at, at the 10 or the 15. So you still have that hope in the back of your mind that maybe you can force a, a field goal attempt situation instead of a guy just getting, getting points on the board automatically with a touchdown. So there is some good talent on that side of the ball this year. It's, it's a unit that is deeper and faster and stronger and more athletic than it was in 2021. And as they continue to, to learn how to communicate better together and play as one defense, we'll see some of these areas that were such an Achilles heel last year get even better. Yeah, we see that they forced seven fumbles. They've only been able to yeah. recover one of them. Yeah. But, you know, that the law of averages say you keep yeah. forcing those fumbles, you're going to come up with some opportunities. So I found that a little bit interesting. And she mentioned the effort earlier in the episode. It's clear getting those tackles at the 10 of the 15 instead of letting them score, that's the clear sign of effort compared to last year. So ODU made a name for itself on special teams last year. Mm -hmm. it blocked a lot of kicks, led the country in them actually, and uh, they've shown those skills this year. We blocked two extra points against ECU. We have a really good punting game right now, and this freshman kicker looks pretty good. What can you tell us about Arkansas State Special Teams Corps and how they plan to stifle the ODU side? A-State has 
taken leaps and bounds special teams wise from about two years ago under under the previous head coach. And one of the reasons for that is because Butch addresses it every single day. He gets his team to work on kickoff return and kicking off every single day. And so, you know, when a coach is that focused on it, then more often than not, that means good results. There's several different things about this special teams unit that, that make them shine, you know, and part of that is just individual personnel, great punter in Ryan Hansen, great kickoff specialist in Tristan Matson. you know, so far teams this season have really not been given a lot of opportunities to make anything happen on kickoff return because it's sailing out of the back of the end zone for a touchback. So You've got some really good talent in, in that aspect. One big unknown for A-State special teams this year was, was who's going to handle field goals and, and point after tries because A-State's not just last year's kicker, but actually the leading scorer in all of program history departed in the offseason to be a graduate transfer at Notre Dame. So you had to bring in a new kicker. There was a battle in the offseason, and it ends up going to a young man by the name of Dominic Zabata. True freshman, actually probably entered the fall as like third on the depth chart, a walk on. Nobody really expected a lot of things. And I'm still a little bit embarrassed because I spent about a month pronouncing his last name wrong. But everybody learned his name really quickly when he showed up in week two and made his first ever career field goal at the shoot. So you've got 100,000 fans yelling at you and you go a perfect four for four that day, including a 45 yarder made another field goal at Memphis. So he's five for five right now to start his career. So that's been a huge boost to this. This unit is being able to be in a situation where if you, you just expect now to put points on the board in any situation, if you get to your opponents, you know, 30, 35, he's good from there. In terms of other aspects, you know, I, I, I feel confident in this unit, but I, I don't know if A-State has seen in some cases, for example, like the the pressure that, that ODU sounds like it's going to bring on special teams. There was a situation against Ohio State where the punt was, where there was a punt that was blocked, but it was, I can't remember the verbiage that the Buckeyes were eventually flagged for. A-State has also given up two hefty, hefty punt returns, but... Both of those were called back due to flags. So they've been, there have been some, some learning moments with special teams, but A-State's kind of gotten some breaks on a couple different plays in that aspect so far. All right. Now we need a little time for some education here because we're okay. new to the Sun Belt sure. and we're, we're meeting all of our friends here. So obviously Jonesboro, Arkansas is a long way from Norfolk, Virginia. Right. Us being new to the Sun Belt, we're not well acquainted with your traditions or the A-State's traditions and culture. What can you tell us a little bit about the school and the fans? The school has been around for a hot minute and, of course, is one of the driving forces of Northeast Arkansas economics and one of the largest providers of jobs and, and things like that in this area. The students are a passionate group that pregame before Arkansas State kickoffs in the Pines. That's where that's where the the youth hang out. I don't venture over there very much, so I can't tell you what's going on on the Pines anymore because I haven't been over there in 20 years. But it's a great group that that comes out and supports um, the front row of of Centennial Bank Stadium. Always has a group of guys in it called the Naked Guys. They they're not naked, but they are shirtless and they paint up and they've always got something painted on their chest, a wolf's up or a win or something like that. And uh, so that's part of, of the game day. You've got, of course, you'll have fans that do the Arkansas State Red Wolves cheer that go on throughout the game. And you've also got one of my favorite things that you'll see at Centennial Bank Stadium is on the home side of the bleachers. There's always a guy in the bleachers with a big spoon to stir it up. So those are some of the things that, that you'll see on an A-State game day 
tailgating, of course, always a lot of fun. And uh, there's a lot of great things to do around campus on a game day. There's some great restaurants like J-Town's Grill and The Social. And now there's a hotel that is that is walking distance from, from the stadium. So it's a good place to people watch right after right after the game, go watch some music, celebrate a Red Wolves win, and, and hang out with some other fans. I'm leaving out a ton of stuff. Sorry. Well, we're happy you mentioned restaurants because it's usually something we talk about on every episode. However... What's the standard fare you're going to see at an Arkansas State tailgate? And what's up with all the waterfalls? <laughs> okay, well, first off, we're from the South. So, I mean, there's going to be fried something. There's going to be fried something. There's going to be smoked something. Whether that's like, you know, a big old hunk of bologna or whether you've got some some wings or something. I feel like it's 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 some pretty standard tailgate fare, depending on where you venture. There's obviously a lot of people who will do it up depending on the opposition. So if you're playing the, if you're playing the Eagles, somebody will make sure and throw some extra, you know, chicken or, or some kind of bird on the grill. If you're playing the Cajuns in Jonesboro, that's always my favorite because then everybody has to do Cajun food. And although we probably don't hold the candle to how they're cooking it in Lafayette, you know, we try and I'll get to sample and, it, and it's pretty good stuff. As far as the water features when Arkansas State, Arkansas State has completely redone its stadium since 2015. If you go back and and look at the press box, the 2014 season, it's just, is is a little uggo, okay? So A-State completely redid the west side of the stadium, which is the press box and then added premium seating and, and, and boxes and all of that stuff. And it, it looks great. That was the first big phase of redoing Centennial Bank Stadium. Well, then back in, I guess it was, I don't know my years anymore. I apologize. But a couple of years ago, they also added in a complete and total north end zone project as well. And there were several different things that went with that, an indoor practice facility, a complete redoing of the Arkansas State locker rooms and facilities and all of the football stuff that goes along with that. But then what they also did is they added premium seating into the north end zone and they wanted to make the stadium look unique. You think about some of the unique places in college football that stand out, you know, places like the hedges and things like that and some some other things that you see on your TV and you look at it and you're like, oh, I know, even if it doesn't have the graphic at the bottom, you know where that game is taking place. And that was what the leadership at A-State wanted to do. They wanted people to think, all right, I've turned on this game. Oh, that's that's A-State. Look, there's water features in the background. So, and by the way, that's one of A-State's old AD things. Nobody's going to get mad if you call it, if you call it waterfalls. He just always wanted to call it water features, but he is now departed and he's the AD at, at UCF. And so we have nicknamed them Mahajer Falls after him, but they've actually also turned into a pretty cool like recruiting thing because a lot of times when player co- players come in for visit, it's like the mandatory photo op now is they're standing in the waterfalls and their A-State gear. And I mean, it looks pretty cool. So I think, I think they're all right. Yeah, I didn't know there was some sort of Bass Pro Shops connection there. <laughs> no, we actually don't have one of those in Jonesboro. There is a huge one in Memphis, which is an hour away. Um, in fact, that's a pyramid, and yeah. that's a long story. But, but you know, Arkansas is is the natural state. It's known for its natural beauty. You've got a lot of of lakes and rivers and streams and things like that. So you wanted to have some kind of tie in with the state. So they did that, but. You know, it's also just cool. They flash the lights and shoot up the jets when when A State scores, and again, it looks really cool in pictures. So it's, I think it's worked out well for everybody. That's pretty awesome. All right, so I'm a well, I don't even know what to call them. I say I, I grew up as a diehard Washington Redskins fan, and mm-hmm. then the football team, and then I guess we're the Commanders now. So I'm well acquainted with running back J D. McKissick. 
Yes. He's awesome. I love him. Yes. And I'm not really a fan, but I have a 14 year old son for years, was a SpongeBob fan. So, you know, Roger Bumpus, who came from Arkansas State, voiced Squidward. Are there, you know, both those guys are Arkansas State alums. Are there any other notable Red Wolves that we should know about outside of the athletic world? Ashley McBride, who is an up and coming country music singer, is actually in the past few years won a slew, a slew of awards. I think. The most recent and probably biggest song that she sang on, it's called Never Wanted to Be That Girl. It's it's a duet. And and unfortunately, I can't tell you a whole lot more about her catalog because I'm not the world's biggest country music fan. But I know she's had a great success and she's, she's an A-State Bands alum. And so it's awesome, awesome to see her succeed. That's the first one that's going to pop into my head. And I'm afraid now that I'm going to there's going to be so many that that I'm forgetting because my my mind goes straight to like the football players and <laughs> and the track and field Olympians and things like that. So I am going to just switch gears on the question and throw out the name of Demario Davis, who's in the NFL and plays for the same. He's one of the one of the higher draft picks in in a state football history, and he's just awesome. He does so much in terms of the community. He's been honored by the NFL for it. And he's been a captain on the Saints there for, for multiple years. And that organization started with the Jets, spent a year at the Browns, so paid his dues there. And now he's been with the Saints for a few years. And he's, he's a phenomenal linebacker and a better human being. So, Aaron, I think we're going to need to find a country music singer because they have one. Yeah, App State, Scott Lake yeah. Holmes. They got a couple. Well, we have Old then, Dominion. I mean, we can, we can fake to- that. We can fake it. We can fake it. <laughs> If we Nobody's say it enough, know. yeah. Nobody's if we gonna say it enough, it. it's gonna become true. People will just think it. Okay. I definitely Damn. accidentally followed Old Dominion the band <laughs> before I followed Old Dominion the university. And I was you're like, not what? the only one. Couldn't figure out what was on my Twitter feed and and why there were. I don't know. I don't know. I figured it out pretty quick though and, and fixed it. The most frustrating part is I've created some gifts for for ODU and Old Dominion football, and if I type in Old Dominion. They're not anywhere near the top. It's just that band. Yeah, I think I Googled Old Dominion schedule just a couple of days ago and I got a bunch of tour dates. So I was like, this is not, <laughs> this is really not what I was after. Thanks for nothing. Google. And strangely yeah. enough, none of those tour dates are playing at Old Dominion. And See, to make matters worse, there's now a TV show called Monarch. So oh, now no. if you search Monarch, you're going to find that. Yeah, and I can't, you know, I don't, I think I'm going to refuse to watch that show because they say what it's a, it's like a, a blend of what succession. What's the one with Kevin Costner that everyone likes? Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Like it's like this blend of three of these awesome shows that I think it's probably a terrible show. They're just saying that. Probably. They're just trying to market it to those different, because those are, you know, some shows that are followed pretty well and have passionate viewership. They're just like, hey, maybe if we throw out these shows that are successful, people tune in. All right. So both of these teams are very young. They're growing a lot each week. Both teams have had tough losses last week and really would like to move to 500. And, of course, this is the first Sunbelt game of the year, so they both want to get that first win in conference. How are Arkansas State fans heading into this game? Are they confident, nervous, maybe a little bit of both? I think – I think there's a general, there's a little bit of a general feel of the unknown. You know, if this was a team that, that A-State had faced last year, then maybe it might be different. But with Old Dominion, not just being a program that you're facing for the first time, but also 
coming into the Sun Belt, fans are slowly learning about ODU. I do think, you know, what ODU has done in non-conference play stands out. I think because that first game of the season was on a Friday, there were there was so much attention on that win that ODU got against Virginia Tech. And I think a lot of people were following along on Saturday as well with that almost game against against Virginia. But um, there's optimism right now in, in this fan base for Arkansas State because, again, this team has has competed well or completed, competed thoroughly in, in every game that they've been in. It was a team, AC should have won last week against Memphis. And again, just couldn't quite figure out how to win and, and get over that hump. But I think right now there's a lot of optimism around this fan base that that they can figure that out, whether it'll be this week against ODU or the following week against ULM. There's hope that there's just going to be a switch at some point in time that gets flipped and, and A-State can figure it out. So again, while, while there's not anybody out there after the past couple of years that are willing to look at really in game any game and say hey a state is going to win this for sure there's there is that vibe that for the rest of the season every team they match up with there's going to be a chance i guess we're kind of in the same position we both think we should be two and one yeah all right yeah. so vegas opened the spread in ODU's favor at three and a half points the line moved to six and I think it went down back to five and a half so what is your take on how this game will go down I think if Arkansas State continues to play smart football the way they have, that they can come out on top. ODU stats really, really kind of fascinate me. And again, the only game, unfortunately, I've been able to see is, is the first one against against Virginia Tech. And it was kind of an ugly game, which no game is ever ugly if you win. But, you know, having the offense lack some consistency, not able to get that touchdown until right at the end of that game, you, you just look at some things there, and, and on paper, this looks like a ODU offense that, that A-State can, can deal with. Now, maybe not well, because the A-State defense is still a work in progress, but it does not look like necessarily an explosive offense that should give A-State fits. When A-State is on, on offense, again, ODU stats are fascinating because this is a team that's given up a lot of yards. But haven't necessarily given up a lot of points because it seems like whenever it looks like their opponent is really about to thrive, ODU is somehow able to force a takeaway or force something else to happen there that, that halts a drive. Lake State's been really good with taking care of the football. So that's going to be one of the big things this Saturday. Who's able to win out there? And I hate saying that because saying, oh, whoever wins the turnover about it, that's like the most cliche thing on the planet. And I hate throwing that out as like a key to the game or whatever, because no duh, it's a key to the game. But when that's one of the key reasons why ODU has been so successful is because of those takeaways. You can't not mention it. So I saw an injury today that was reported. Yeah. Your right tackle is out for the year. How is the backup compared to the starter there? Is that going to be a big drop-off, or is it just plug and play? Well, that is kind of a TBD situation. One, it's it's Robert Holmes who is out for the season, and you hate it, hate it, hate it for the young man because in game four last year, he suffered a season-ending knee injury. So you've got back-to-back years now that that this is the case, and it just it's it just sucks. There's no other way to, to say it. It sucks for that young. And it's also going to be difficult for the Arkansas State offensive line as well. Because the thing this year with A-State is that, you know, you have a decent amount of, of bodies. You've got technically depth at most positions on the field. However, at most positions on the field, you do not have tested depth. 
you've got very, very little experience in your twos and threes on, on this team. And that's the case at right tackle last week when, when Holmes had to leave that game, when he got injured, there was probably, you know, five minutes left in the game. And we saw a backup right tackle come in and the backup right tackle was playing just in his third game of collegiate football period. So next week is going to be his first start. And there was a situation there at the end of that game against Memphis. We mentioned the back-to-back false starts and, and one of those he was whistled for. So the thing is when you have untested depth or when you have a ton of freshmen or redshirt freshmen playing is that sometimes you see those guys make mistakes in, in real time. And so the hope is that, yes, he made that mistake last week. How does he learn from it and, and grow from it and make sure you don't have that mistake again? Or, or how does A-State get in more get in better situations to where if you do have those mistakes, they're not catastrophic. So size-wise, A-State's going to be fine. This is a giant dude that's going to be replacing Robert Holmes. I mean, he's 6'7", 3'11". So it's not one of those situations where you lose your starter and the guy that's coming in has not been through strength and conditioning yet and is still clocking in at like 275. The line's still going to be massive. It's just, it's will remain to be seen how much of a, a talent drop or upgrade it is but it is a huge huge experience drop off from Holmes to Smith so we have the same question kind of going on I mean not experience wise but last week there's some shifting along the line a Saldaveri who usually plays right tackle moved to guard mm-hmm. and Chris Adams played right tackle well late in the game he went down with an injury and on the sideline, he was carted off. So, and his, his foot was put in an air cast. So, mm-hmm. probably an ankle. We don't know. ODU does pretty good about not putting out injury information. I'm not sure if you've figured that out already. But we're not sure who's going to be playing right tackle yet. At least I haven't seen the depth chart. So, we're kind of dealing with the same thing. Yeah. New right tackle will probably be there. Because the, the guard switch did really work for us last week. Yeah. The first time we had consistently moved the ball all year, we're kind of missing Isaac Weaver quite a bit. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how those two lines adapt to the new tackle position, whoever's playing it. Yeah. Kara, I appreciate you coming on. Obviously, in the week, you know, what's what we have left of this week, you know, we're going to put this podcast out. You know, we're letting people know about you. Where can people find your stuff? Because I'm sure they're going to want to hear more about the game. And I know you're going to be talking about this upcoming game the rest of the week on the radio. So let people know where they can find you and your stuff. Sure. I waste a significantly large amount of my life on Twitter. So you can always follow along there at Kara underscore Richie. And that's a great place to follow because I tweet out show links and, and interviews and things like that. But also we stream online at 953thetickets.com. If you want to catch the show live, I'm on air from one to three your time, noon to two central. And you can listen along at 953thetickets.com. We've also got an audio vault there. So you can go in and, and follow along and find some of our, our full shows on SoundCloud. We haven't actually dived into Old Dominion yet. We spent the past couple of days recapping Memphis and, and talking about A-State overall, but that'll change tomorrow. We'll start looking a whole lot more at this Monarchs team and, and what's going to shake out on Saturday. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We're really appreciative you educating us on Arkansas State and go Monarchs. Yeah, go Monarchs. Has- <laughs> Wolves up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> If anybody has, I know obviously, you know, this one is is at ODU, but if anybody has any questions about A-State or, you know, if you're 
big on planning ahead for whenever ODU does play here and you have any questions about the Jonesboro area or the team or the community or anything about A-State, don't hesitate to, to reach out. My DMs are always open so anybody can shoot me a question. Awesome. Greatly I appreciate, really appreciate it. it. All right, guys, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for the invite and uh, we'll catch you next time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. See ya. Bye.